Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So today is uh, one of those messages where every now and then I, I speak a message that just makes me really nervous. And my wife will attest to the fact that this message has made me really nervous all week. So a couple of years ago, several years ago, I preached this one message, and I got a, a, a fair amount of negative feedback from it. I was really surprised by it. And, um, and the negative feedback in that particular message was simply this. Uh, everybody accused me of not believing in the inspiration or the authority of Scripture. And what was really curious to me about that time when I got that feedback was that I had actually spent one-third of the message talking about the inspiration and authority of Scripture. So I asked myself at the end of the message, what happened? And I got together with a bunch of the people who were, and listened to them who were giving negative feedback, and I listened to them, and, uh, and basically I had said something that was a little bit shocking to their normal upbringing and how they had thought about their Christianity and their faith and thought about God, and they ended up getting fixated on that and didn't hear really what else I said. Today, we're continuing our series on uh, following, the wild, following the goose, and we're using the goose as a symbol of the Holy Spirit because that's what the Celts used as a symbol. And so today as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the, today's message is entitled Wild Goose, and we're going to talk about some things uh, about the Holy Spirit that I think for many of us, I know they do still for me, they make me feel a little uncomfortable, and they may make you feel the same way. And, it's, and maybe that's uh, for good reason. Some of you may actually have no experiential reference point for what we're going to talk about today from your past. And others of you may have an experiential reference point for what we talk about that isn't exactly positive. And I'm going to ask you today, normally I encourage people to go with the sidetracks that they have in, the, in your mind from a message because I think God oftentimes uses the sidetracks that come up in our mind. I say something or whoever's preaching says something and you don't hear the next 10 minutes of the message because you're thinking about something. I think God uses those a lot of times in our lives. But today I'm going to ask you to avoid those sidetracks because I really think it's important that you stay with me because I want to all end up in the same place today. And that place that I want to end up is simply this. I want us to have a much larger freedom to be really curious and engaged with the Holy Spirit, as well as have that freedom be salted with a little bit of guidance for protecting that freedom and making it safe to be there. Uh, in his book, uh, God as he, longs, uh, as he Longs for Us to See Him, Chip Ingram says this, and let me just paraphrase. He says, God is above all that we think or know. He's different than us. Yet we tend to shrink him to fit our own worldview and our comfort zone. And that raises, I think, a question for all of us as we pursue being led by the Holy Spirit through this series. And that question is one that I've asked myself many times. What lies do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What things, because of stereotypes or, or whatever, because of misinformation, what somebody else said, or, or what lies do we believe about the Holy Spirit? I think all of us probably have many. But I really think there's one lie 
in particular that we believe. I know I do. I struggle with it. I have to watch myself on this on a regular basis. And, and when you read all the books out there on teaching about the Holy Spirit, when you listen to the messages about the Holy Spirit that people talk about, you run into this lie very, very quickly. And it's actually a big stereotype that people argue against. And it simply goes like this. If we give the Holy Spirit a larger place in our life, we will become weird. Right? And I think one of Satan's primary tactics is that is to make us believe that if we embrace the, the Holy Spirit, we as people will become weird. And who wants to be weird? I don't think any of us do, right? I mean, 25 years ago, in my own experience with the Holy Spirit and Christianity, as some of you can probably relate to this, the Holy Spirit fell in... If you, if you follow the Holy Spirit, especially as a woman, you fell into two categories. You fell into the women who didn't wear any makeup at all or the women who wore way too much makeup, right? And maybe, maybe you don't have that experience, but that left you with this impossible question, do I start wearing more makeup or less if I want to follow the Holy Spirit? I mean, I remember during that time period in college, I was in college, and I had this one lady walk by me, just like from me to my hand this far away, who was known for being very much into the Holy Spirit. And I looked at her, and I had two thoughts. My first thought was, how does she get that much makeup on without leaving brush marks? And my second thought was, how does she keep her eyes open with that much mascara on? And she had these little glittery things, and they were so big. And it just made me want to take a nap. (laughs) Now, we at Quest, we value really being culturally palatable people. Friend, friendly, kind, intellectually sharp, very practical people. And at the same time, being very deep spiritual people. But still, I have to look honestly. I I can't help but look at the actions of the Holy Spirit as I see them in the Bible and even as I've seen them in experience sometimes and not think, that's just kind of plain weird sometimes. I mean, for example, Elijah going to pray for and raise the widow's son from the dead and he lays on him hand-to-hand, head-to-head, Why do you have to lay on him? I mean, that's just kind of weird. Or Isaiah, the Spirit of God, instructs him to go naked for three years to to illustrate the nakedness and the depravity of the people. I mean, that's weird, right? And oh, then there's this thing we call speaking in tongues, right? That's, I mean, come on, speaking in tongues is weird. And if you actually speak in tongues, you are most likely, if you're honest with yourself, the first person to admit it's weird, right? Beautiful. Amazing, but weird. So also is Jesus walking in the water and Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes, Jesus cursing the fig tree, Jesus making wine out of water for people who'd already had too much to drink more than likely. So is dead people at Jesus' resurrection walking out of their graves. See, zombies are in the Bible, right? And that's going to probably result in somebody creating a whole modern-day zombie theology. I mean, so is it weird to read the stories in the Bible of the apostles laying hands on a piece of cloth and sending it with people and the people being touched by the cloth being healed. I mean, that's not normal. That's weird, isn't it? 
So is Philip in Acts 8 being beamed up like star, like somebody in Star Trek from one location to 20 miles away being set down by this guy, uh, this leader from Egypt headed back, or Africa, headed back to Africa in his chariot reading Isaiah, not being able to understand it, and him being able to explain Isaiah to him, see him accept Christ. And we know from church history that this guy went on to lead a major move of Christianity and conversion to Christianity all across Africa. It's cool, isn't it? That's amazing. That's adventuresome. But it is weird if we're just really honest with ourselves. And the problem is when we want to domesticate the Holy Spirit, we lose the adventure God wants us to have in some measure. You know, I was listening to songs this last week, and I, I, I hope that by the end of this message we can all say to the Holy Spirit, wild thing, I love you. Isn't that the shortest, weirdest song that ever became popular? You see, we so easily read the Scripture through domesticated eyes. We see the miraculous results of miracles that Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and Paul and others did in the Bible, and we forget what it looks like in the moment because we end up liking the end result, so we're fine with it. But there were a lot of things that happened in the moment that those miracles were happening that if we're really honest, looked strange. So that leaves for us only those things in the Bible that still, when all is said and done, the end result still feels uncomfortable, maybe disconcerting or a little bit weird to us that we struggle with. Things like tongues or speaking in tongues or some of the other physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit that you see in the Bible. You see, the result of what happens is still uncomfortable and weird, so we want to dismiss it. We want to domesticate God. We want to domesticate the Holy Spirit. But why would we dismiss something God calls good just because it seems uncomfortable, just because it seems a little bit off or weird to us? Frankly, I think weird is the wrong focus point. I understand why the authors and speakers talk about this because none of us like to feel weird, but I think, I think frankly it's the wrong focus point for us to make that argument because if we're honest, really there is stuff that just feels weird, uncomfortable, different. We can't explain it. It just looks strange to our eyes. But the reality is if we serve a God who is so easily explained, so comfortable to us, then he's not big enough. He's not powerful enough. He's not smart enough. He doesn't think otherly and bigger than us enough for us to even deserve us trusting him. And that God, little g, that we create is no God at all. But if God is the creator of all that exists, and that God, by his spirit, comes to live in us, then life becomes at times, uncomfortable, strange, a wild adventure, maybe a little disconcerting even at times. Yet the reality is that we all know if we look at theology in a pattern, it only feels weird because we live in this distorted world where living with the supernatural feels odd instead of normal. Now, I understand as, as well as anybody out here 
it's not right to want to get caught up. It, 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 it caught, it, it's right for us not to want to get caught up in the things that we probably, maybe many of us have experienced that corrupt the work of the Spirit, that make it something other than genuine. But that's a different issue than avoiding weird or uncomfortable. Uh, in praying for the series on, I, on April 9th, and some of you may have heard me share this in one of the services, but I want to share it again because I feel like God wants to because I think it's the, the point of what He's asking us today. I was praying for this service in, on April 9th and praying for this series, and God gave me this, this picture, and it was this picture of dozens of wedding rings just flying out at me. And then all of a sudden they, they, they shifted and they became interlocked. And then... Almost instantly, it just kind of went poof, and they all disappeared except for one. And I said, God, what what do you want to tell me by that? And here's what I felt like he said for us as a major thing that he wants to do in all of us through this series. He says, many of us have made vows. Many of us have made vows that I will follow you, God. I will be pursue the Holy Spirit. I will want to be in relationship as long as it looks like X and not like why. As long as it feels comfortable or fits my worldview and it doesn't seem weird or uncomfortable or whatever. Maybe some of those things that we've said, we don't necessarily ever say explicitly, I'll do it X if, if, it, if it's X and not Y. I mean, who of us is, has the gall enough to say that to God? But we've still at times made vows in our life. Maybe it's because of hurts in the past that we've had that we'll say we'll never be like that. Or maybe it's because of stereotypes. Or maybe it's because of fear of the unknown that we've said we'll never do that or our, simply our need for control. But the invitation that I think God is making to all of us through this series is to repent of, let those vows go, and trust Him and Him alone. Just one ring, one vow. And trust Him to remove the fake. Trust Him to protect us from the inauthentic and to open ourselves and open our hearts to let God be who He wants to be to us. And that's the end game for today. It's really part of the end game for this whole series. And I want to proceed today by illustrating from the Bible and history and my own experience some of the manifestations that tend to make us feel uncomfortable, tend to sometimes be disconcerting to us, or tend to make us think it's a little bit weird once in a while when we see this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to spend an entire message on safeguards. How do we know that this is really, truly the Spirit of God and not just us or somebody else's weirdness, right? We're going to spend some time on that. But today, we're just going to illustrate some of these manifestations that make us uncomfortable, and I'm going to leave you with one guardrail today that I think can help protect us in making sure that our freedom to pursue the Holy Spirit is safe in this regard. So here's the question. Is there biblical evidence that weird reactions and resulting from encountering the Holy Spirit actually happen? I mean, we've already talked about a little bit some, but when I, when I hear people talk about weird, it almost always comes down to tongues. We're not going to deal with more with that today. Or it comes down to things like the Holy Spirit coming and people falling down or shaking or falling into some sort of a trance, some sort of observable physical reaction that happens. And some of the answers, to be honest, in the Bible are really obvious. And others are implied and, frankly, leave us with questions. And we're just going to try to deal with them honestly. So in the Bible, 
There are a lot of real-world examples in the Bible of the Holy Spirit bringing a physical shaking that we can feel and we can see. It's usually about physical things around us. There really isn't a very clear statement in the Bible about us personally shaking. I mean, we look at Exodus 19, we look at Acts 4, we look at Acts 9, and we see the Holy Spirit coming in the presence of God creating these miraculously timed earthquakes. We see, as Jeremy referenced last week in the story of Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit coming as a sound like a violent rushing wind filling the whole house where they were sitting. Those are strong, descriptive words, aren't they? And we know that violent wind is something that you not only hear, but you can feel. Just look at Oklahoma this last week. We're reminded of that, right? Jeremiah 5.22 and Isaiah 6 four both talk about very explicitly about the fact that it is a reasonable expectation for a human being when God's Spirit comes to them to sense some sort of shaking or reaction. And if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, even as weird as it is, if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, Doesn't it make sense that the God of the universe who created all that is, who holds the world in the palm of his hand, whose words spoke into being the entire universe, must have tremendous power? And if he does, it's illogical, actually, to think that encountering that same spirit would not have some sort of corresponding physical reaction or sensation or something. In fact, I think it's the greater miracle that the Spirit of God who created everything that is can even live within us without causing a physical reaction. It's like withholding in our, holding in ourselves a trillion megavolts and, and having no reaction. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous minister from the, from the 1900s, one of the more famous names, pastored Westminster Chapel in London from 1934 to 1968. He writes this. He says, The Holy Spirit affects the whole person. Man is body, soul, and spirit, and we cannot divide these. Man reacts as a whole. It is folly, he says, to expect that he can react to the realm of the spiritual without anything at all happening to the rest of him, to the soul and to the body. These phenomenon, he says, are indications of the fact that a very powerful stimulus is in operation, that the very physical frame is involved. Now we look at other things in the Bible and we see interactions of the Holy Spirit coming and we see people losing physical strength, sometimes falling, sometimes finding themselves unable to get up or fall into a deep sleep or a trance-like state. In, in Peter, uh, in Acts 10.10, 10, Paul in Acts 20, 22.17, it says, for both of them, the Holy Spirit came to them and they fell into this deep trance, this deep meditative state of being in the Spirit. And it uses the word fell. And now, that, does that really mean that they actually lost physical strength and fell? Uh, from the context, it makes nothing clear about that and rather uncertain about it. But it clearly indicates that something happened to them not something that they did themselves. And there are two examples of it in, in, of, of this sense of falling in the Old Testament. One is very clear and one is implied, and you'll see the two connected. They both happen with King Saul. In 1 Samuel 10, in, in verse 10, it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily, so that he prophesied. When all who knew him previously saw, saw, not heard, isn't that interesting choice of words? 
They asked, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, there's an implication here of something happening that they could see that made them come to this conclusion. He is among the prophets. It becomes much more explicit in 1 Samuel 19 where we see the same thing, much the same wording happen again with Saul. And it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he too prophesied before Samuel and fell down and lay there without outer garments all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? The Holy Spirit comes in this example on Saul, and in this instance, he falls down, losing strength to stand, whatever it is. He he lays there all night, and they ask the question, because of that, is Saul, using the same words they used uh, the previous time, is Saul also among the prophets? Indicating there was some sort of physical reaction that they saw in those days when the prophets were prophesying, they could see something happen that made them go, that's God. That's the Spirit of God. Daniel 8, we see the angel Gabriel coming to Daniel with a message from the Holy Spirit. And Daniel records this. He says, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. John 18, 6, we see this large contingent of Roman soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. Some say as many as 600. And they they say, who... Who, which one of you is Jesus? And Jesus says, I am. And the text says, they drew back and fell to the ground. Acts 9, the Apostle Paul's conversion. He falls off the horse, falls to the ground, debilitated when the Holy Spirit comes to him. Revelation 1.17, the Apostle John, the Spirit comes to him, and it says, when I saw him, I, when Jesus comes to him, this is spiritual revelation, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And we see other Let's just call it what it is, weird physical reactions. We see in Acts 2 that Jeremy referenced last week, the Spirit of God coming on them, and they looked enough like they were drunk. There was some sort of physical thing going on that the people around them accused them of being drunk. You see, it's it's biblically impossible to argue against the reality that sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, these types of things happen. And history is the same. If we do an honest look at history, you see this happening in every single generation. And many have tried to argue against it. In fact, there's some whole church groups that will argue and say this can't be the case. But those same church groups hold as heroes of the faith people like Dallas Willard or D.L. Moody or Jonathan Edwards or A.W. Tozer or Martin Lloyd-Jones or John Wesley or Charles Finney. They'll hold these people in high regard But listen to what these Christian leaders say about their own experience with the Holy Spirit. Dallas Willard, who actually died just a couple of weeks ago, has probably shaped American Christianity more than almost any single writer in the last 30, 35 years. And he, in a Christianity Today interview in 2006, they write this about that interview. And he says, he and Jane had prayed to fully surrender their lives to Christ during a campus service at Tennessee Temple University. Afterward, R.R. Brown was laying hands on Willard Willard and praying over him. And Jane says, Willard lost consciousness, later describing the experience as being enveloped in a cloud. A spiritual reality of Christ became tangible to him. Jonathan Edwards, in his own writings, counseled people to be open to the Spirit coming and actually moving in this way. And it actually actually records that his wife experienced the Holy Spirit in this way, and some of the manifestations lasted for a couple weeks. 
Wesley and Whitfield both publicly talked about this as well as fairly extensively in their diaries, talked about the fact that sometimes when we encounter the Holy Spirit, these same power encounters occur. D.L. Moody's associate, R.A. Torrey, personally experienced it, and D.L. Moody himself noted that it was a reality that happened in a positive sense sometimes when the Holy Spirit came in his preaching and revivals. Writing about observations of the Holy Spirit in 1741, which was the fastest growth time period of the, of the Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening, Samuel Johnson, dean of Yale University, wrote, Even their bodies are frequently in a moment affected with the strangest convulsion and involuntary agitations and cramps. Now, he writes in a 1700 style. Isn't that kind of funny? Which also sometimes happened to those who came as mere spectators. And I'll tell you from personal experience, I've seen similar things. One of the more pronounced times this occurred, it was in 1995, and this young 22-year-old gentleman walks into the church where I was pastoring. We found out later he hadn't been in church other than a funeral or a wedding a couple times since he was 11, and then he'd only been in church a couple times. After the service was over, uh, we were praying for people, and I was praying off over on the side, and our children's minister, Linda, just somehow caught eye of him and felt like God prompted her to go back and say, would you come with me to the front and be prayed? And he was really reticent because he hadn't been around church for so long. And he came up and just to get people started gathering around him. They didn't know him, barely knew his name because they just barely asked him. They started gently praying for him. And all of a sudden, not only did he fall, but he catapulted like 15 feet back into the first row of chairs and couldn't get up for like 15 minutes. And when he got up, the first thing he said was, what is this power? Come to find out after we interviewed him more, he had been re-diagnosed with a brain tumor that previous week that they thought had been cured through surgery six months earlier. And he went back and found out he was healed. And his parents, who were part of a cult, got saved. He got saved. It was one of those things that, to me, is one of the, the more amazing, beautiful things because this guy had no experience, no predisposition to ever have anything like that happen. It couldn't have been manipulation because he had never, ever seen or experienced anything at all like that, much the same way as the Yale University professor writes, some came as mere spectators and experienced it. Charles Finney of uh, the Second Great Awakening and former president of Oberlin College here in Ohio referred to this as falling under the power his initial experience in his diary of the, with the Holy Spirit, he writes about in this way. He says, The Holy Spirit seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. So, we've all talked about, we've talked about a lot of amazing, beautiful, powerful, and yes, weird stuff. You can't talk about this stuff and I think be intellectually honest without saying it's weird. Are you with me? Because I want to move on to a question that this naturally raises for all of us, a question I've wrestled with that also leads us to a guardrail. What's the norm for this kind of an experience? Should all of us expect to experience this kind of thing? What does the Bible say about that, what the norm should be? And unfortunately, I gotta, if I'm honest, I've got to tell you, I don't think the Bible says a whole lot about it. 
And that's been kind of frustrating to me because I've asked this question over and over and over again as I've looked at the Bible for years and had people tell me you should experience it daily, you should experience it all the time. And, and I've looked at the Bible and I look at books like, like Acts, the book of Acts. In 28 chapters, it covers 32 years. And we look at the miracles that happen in there and you, you try to look at it and, you, and it and it says, well, there were a whole lot more miracles than are recorded here, but you don't know how many. And so you start asking the questions, did these kind of things happen several times a day, several times a week, several times a month, several times a year? What, what is it? And it could be many more, but the problem is we don't honestly have any idea how regularly this type of stuff happened and should we all experience it? or not. The Bible, when you look at other people in the Bible, it it covers an entire 40 or 80 year time period in people's lives in a few short short chapters. How How do you determine from that what the norm is and what we should expect? So here's a guardrail that I think we should all live by. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think this is pure Bible wisdom. I'm going to tell you this is Ross's best attempt at wisdom. Since the Bible is unclear as to what kind of expectation we, ha- we should have of the frequency of this experience, I think we should set no expectations. Yet, at the same time, the Bible encourages us to live expectantly curious and engaged and let the Holy Spirit determine how, when, and to whom He wants to manifest Now, I know that sounds like a contradiction because I just said set no expectations and then live expectantly, right? But here's what I'm trying to get at. Expectations for us that we carry are often this sense of demand. This, and, And with this sense of demand comes this resultant disappointment in our life when something doesn't happen or continue to happen as we think it should. And only when we give up that as we think it should piece of that expectation, only then can we live free and be expectantly curious and engaged. It's a different heart posture that I'm trying to get at. It's this, it's this ability to live adventurously, confidently living, expecting to discover God in everyday life in some small or big way and not really caring if it's small or big, but expecting to see Him and encounter Him each and every day in some way, to be curious. And we love curious people, right? Because they're always looking for something exciting, interesting, or a new adventure. And we, we all want to be that. So let's be that with the Holy Spirit. But curious people, they can just see an ant walking by and think it's the most interesting thing. Or they could see something amazing happen and think it's the most interesting thing. Can we live like that? So what does this look like to live this guideline then? Well, I think it means neither, neither imposing your or my past positive experiences with the Holy Spirit onto the present, nor allowing our discomfort or our negative experiences from the past to prevent us from avidly pursuing and even expecting God to show up and make Himself and make His presence real with people around. You know, over the course of my lifetime, I've been in places, I don't know if you call this fortunate or just 
maybe it's not fortunate. I don't know. But I've been in several places over my lifetime, three or four times, where I've been in places where this kind of physical manifestation thing happened on a fairly regular basis in dramatic ways. Some of that ended up being corrupted, and we're going to talk about that very clearly in a couple of weeks and, and some gui- more guidelines around that. But I'm not going to impose those experiences as a measure of God's presence and work on us now or in the future. And I don't want you to either. Because just because the Holy Spirit doesn't show up that way now to us doesn't mean He's not powerfully at work. This reality was really dialed in for me at an early age. In high school, the last three months of my Grandpa Adelman's life, he lived with us. My Grandpa Adelman had no exposure to this, had never seen anything like this, didn't believe in any of this stuff that we've talked about this morning. For him, it was just weird. And during that same time period he was living with us was actually a time period in which I was exposed in some environments where this type of stuff was going on, but he didn't believe it. And yet, when I sat down at the table and my Grandpa Adelman would pray just for the meal, I would have some of the most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, yet there'd be nothing physical, and he didn't even believe in it. See, we sometimes predicate, especially if you've experienced this kind of stuff in the past, we sometimes predicate the fact that we would say the Holy Spirit is not moving unless this stuff is happening, and that is a lie. The Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in your lives, in our lives, in our community right now, whether this stuff ever happens or not with us. He's still moving powerfully. What does it look like to live this guideline? Second, if we live expectantly, curious and engaged, then we'll pray more for people for and with people, anticipating that the Holy Spirit will make Himself real. We won't conjure anything up. We won't work anything up emotionally. In fact, we'll dial down. We'll just be honest, friendly, caring, loving people, but we will take initiative to pray when somebody says, would you pray for me? We'll take initiative right then to pray, and we'll expect God to make Himself real in some way to them. If we live this guideline, that's the way we'll live. I want to actually invite you uh, this Friday to join us here at 7 o'clock for the transformation service. Phil Schaefer is going to be sharing about some of his journey in becoming more open to the Holy Spirit and how that's impacted his life. And then we're just going to spend time worshiping and praying for one another and just asking the Holy Spirit to come and teach us how He wants to work among us and how He wants each of us to experience Him. But if we don't take the step of faith to pray for others and create that moment, that opportunity where God can become real through the way we care and pray for each other, then we make it more difficult for the Holy Spirit to get our attention and the attention of people around us. Now, again, there's going to be a number of guidelines that we're going to talk about in a few weeks from the Bible, and many of those guidelines will come out of my negative experiences with this type of stuff and what I feel like God taught me through the Bible to bring safeguards in that regard. But some of you are still here today. Dusty, go ahead and come on. Some of you are here today still are struggling with the examples I've used today. You're still, frankly, really uncomfortable with that, with the things I've talked about, and maybe even a little bit with the whole supernatural Holy Spirit manifestation thing. And I want to tell you that's okay. That's okay. 
I'm not asking you today to believe what I'm saying. If I hadn't seen it, experienced it, and spent a lot of time inspecting the reality of the outcome in dozens of people's lives, I wouldn't be ready to believe it today. And that's not the point of today's message for you to even believe this stuff. What I'm asking is this. If you've made a vow and you've said to God, that can't be. That's so weird. I never want to be a part of that. If you said to God, I will follow you if it looks like this but doesn't look like that, whatever weird describes that for you. If you've made any kind of vow like that, then all I'm asking today and all I want you to do is to let go of those. To repent of those vows. To let God not be put in some sort of a box, but to deal honestly with the Bible and say, God, if you want to do that in my life today or through me, I'm fine with that. Be who you are to me. And if you never do that, I'm fine with that. Be who you want to be to me and in my life. So will you pause right now? And if you need to close your eyes to concentrate, fine. If not, you can leave your eyes open, whatever. But pause and just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind to you, have you ever made a vow that limits him in your life? And ask him to bring that to mind. If there's a vow you need to let go of, I'm not going to ask you to step out of your seat or come forward, but I am going to ask you to do one action. I want to ask you just because of that dream God gave me, and maybe I'm imposing that on you, but I'm just going to do it today. I want to ask you to take your left hand, your ring finger, and I just want you to lift it up and let me pray for you and let me lead you and prompt you in prayer. So let go of those things and let God become the only one you vow to follow and to let him be that love of your life who comes to you and loves you and there becomes the singularity of trust for you you're not going to trust in the boundaries of the uh, uh, to prevent the negative experiences you've had in the past you're not going to trust in the stereotypes of others you're just going to say today holy spirit I want you to be who you are to me, and I trust you and you alone to protect me from corruption. And Lord, we ask that you would come now and receive our hands as a sign of repentance and receive our hands as a sign of a desire for you to be all that you want to be to us. Lord, I pray that you would let us allow you to define yourself and that we would trust you the creator of all that is the one who holds all things together to be loving and powerful enough to keep us from corrupting anything to protect us from wrong and the untrue and the fake and to bring us into the genuine to bring us into the true you Lord, we bless you 
we worship you and we invite you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. As we attempt to follow the wild goose, this Holy Spirit that we're trying to follow, he's not wild without a purpose. When you look at every single example that I brought up today, his wild acts are for the very purpose of bringing radical change to people's lives. Whether it's healing to your life, whether it's healing to another person's life, whether it's salvation, he always does those things to bring radical change. And I want us all to be free to encounter the Holy Spirit in whatever adventure he wants to lead us in to receive and experience Him and to radically impact our people, the people around us. So as we sing this last song, I want you to just make that your prayer to Him. Invite Him to come to you and then Dusty's going to actually switch and we're going to switch the words in the middle of it where we pray and we sing the song in a way that I want you to be thinking. I want to pray this over us. I want to pray this over our community. Would you join in worship? Again, I want to emphasize, I don't care if you ever believe the reality of what I talked about today as far as how the Holy Spirit comes. What I do care is that you open your heart and let Him define Himself. And if He never comes to you that way, never doubt that He's still coming to you because He is. And if He comes to you that way and you feel weird, welcome to the crowd. You know? But it doesn't mean you're more spiritual because he comes that way. It just means he wants to be with you and do something through you to change your life or to change the lives of people around him. I want to invite you to come back next Sunday. We're going to talk next Sunday about uh, the theology surrounding how we receive the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of theology around that. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you may be confused by that. Some of you may not have any idea what I'm talking about. I want you to come back next Sunday because we're going to look at that. And I think the most important lesson next Sunday is going to be a lesson about how we view how we read the Bible and experience God. Because I'm going to basically tell you the theology and I'm going to tell you a different way to think about it next Sunday. So I want you to come back today if you came with a need uh, for prayer. Don't leave without getting it prayed for. Let's give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to show up. And unless we give Him opportunity, it makes it more difficult. So if you want to get prayed for any kind of a need, you can gather, you you can grab uh, somebody. There'll be several of us standing back in the uh, prayer area in the back corner here. We'd love to pray for you or grab a friend and pray for each other. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.